Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. It's showtime, folks. Enjoy the show. Guten Tag. Bienvenue. I feel like I need to find some other cultures to, to offend. Uh, <laughs> Willkommen, bienvenue. Welcome. Welcome. Enchanté. Uh, it's a fine Saturday oui. uh, matinee to you, Andy. This is an Endgame weekend. How many times have you seen it so it far? Is, I've seen it twice. <laughs> 
It's a one a day weekend for Andy. Is that right? <laughs> it's not quite. It will be uh, three times over the weekend. I my second one is coming up tomorrow. We are of course talking about it on the film board tonight, which will be out for uh, everybody next week and for patrons as soon as we do it. And you can always, you know, you can always come listen along if you'd like uh, in the Discord chat room. We don't talk about that a lot, but you can jump in the live show if you want. Mm-hmm. Can they? Yeah. Sure. If they want, <laughs> if they want, it'll be a treat. It'll be a real treat. They can tune in. Uh, so the just to following up on that, yeah. uh, just end game uh, info. So right now, the estimates for uh, for Friday night stand at one hundred fifty seven point five million, with <laughs> a record sixty million of preview screenings that's 38.4 million more than star wars the fork force awakens the fork, the fork, awakens, the fork awakens which was huge open yeah <laughs> that they need to do mystery men the, the fork, fork awakens, awakens. <laughs> <laughs> uh but star wars the force awakens uh opening and single day record was 119.1 million and uh, so that's uh, top in that. And as for the whole weekend, right now they're estimating between three hundred forty-nine and three hundred fifty-six million um, for this film. It is the widest theatrical release ever, four thousand six hundred sixty-two screens. And it's uh, yeah, it, it's uh, crazy because just this weekend they are making what a lot of films like hope they make in their whole theatrical run or or it's maybe nuts. their whole theatrical and <laughs> rental and global right. pop culture uh run and maybe even including the jokes on SNL later i mean i don't know <laughs> yeah. in a day it's in, in well the whole weekend <sighs> the whole weekend it's uh yeah it's insane how much money this film is making. I mean, just, and I'm sure I'll talk about this tonight, but I went and saw opening night Thursday at the preview screenings, and I just walked around the theater that night after the movie was over. It was a 16-plex, and they had it playing on 14 screens. <laughs> Last night, opening night, I went to a different 16-plex, and they had it playing on 10 of the 16 screens. It's crazy. This thing is just going to be owning yeah. screens around the country because of uh, the number of people who want to see it. And I still see people on Facebook going, well, I went to the theater. I went online to see if I could get tickets today. And, oh, wow, it's all sold out. Yeah. Like, and, well, and, what were you and thinking? not to be, um, you know, the, of course, a lot of people want to see it. But also this three-hour runtime makes it really complicated for theater owners to figure out how to show it enough times without booting other movies right it's just scheduling this thing is is challenging so like i get it i get why it's it's complicated um and and you know sorry shazam <laughs> you know what i mean like shazam which was a legit fun movie uh is is being booted from screens very early i mean all the movies that are being upset by you know having to take 10 of the 16 screens in your example is uh, you know this this is going to be tough for the the broader film economy. Well, and that's you know, I, I'm really curious about because I mean obviously the exhibitors get some of the money. Right. It's not like Disney's walking away with all of this cash. Right. I mean the exhibitors are getting money. All the people who make the concessions are getting tons of money. IMAX gets a ton of money. Dolby. All of these people are getting 
funding from this. And so obviously they wanted to succeed. But I, I feel like the exhibitors have to have some, there have to be deals in place with the studios where if a movie is making a certain amount of money still, you know, it still should be on screens. Like, I don't know how that works. Like, do they have to forfeit something when they pull Shazam to add more uh, Endgame yeah, screenings? Yeah, and does Shazam come back when Endgame starts to pull screenings? Yeah, right. Yeah, I, I'm really curious how, uh, and it could just be after this weekend. Like, it could be Sunday, and then all of a sudden Monday, you know, yeah, everything is kind of normal. back until next weekend. And yeah, I, I don't know. I'm really curious about the shift yeah. of all this. I mean, having worked at a movie theater back when I was in college, I know that there is a lot of give and take when it comes to all of this sort of stuff as they're working with the different studios and and the different uh, the ways that certain films are going to uh, get more play. And, you know, they have to be in these sites of screens and all this sort of stuff. So I know there's a lot of play. But man, something like this, when it and it's on so many screens like i'm really curious the deals that are in place to keep all these other studios happy mm-hmm. this on the heels of did you read this variety article that um, says u.s movie ticket sales box office plunge in first quarter uh saying u.s movie admissions slid 14.9 percent in the first quarter to 265.6 million and box office receipts plunged 16.3 percent to 2.39 billion on the heels of a record-setting year the national association of theater owners reports uh you know maybe that means uh endgame is a, a boon to this uh this slip i i certainly haven't seen it i'm and i know you know i'm challenged because the theaters that i visit have uh, are frequent my favorite theaters have both been completely renovated and if they have two-thirds the seats they originally had now um you know i'd be really surprised they all have the big motorized recliners and uh i i think they've taken out you know Two third or a, a full third of the rows in in all of the theaters in this in the megaplex. So they're just not selling as many tickets because there just aren't as many seats. Uh, yeah, but they're all yeah. sold out. I feel like I'm going to but more. But the ticket sold prices are more expensive, so it's. I feel like there's a. I don't know. I, I mean, I guess you're right. Like, I wonder, uh, you know, when they had the old old style at a lower price, yeah. now that it's a higher price with these fancier seats, are they are they breaking even? I, I'm not quite yeah. sure because I don't feel like I don't know. I guess I'm curious what where, where that uh, where that lands. The average 2018 ticket price increased 1.6 percent to your point from 8.97 to nine dollars and eleven cents. Uh, North American movie-going audience, uh, the biggest demographic jump in the North American movie-going audience during 2018 took place in the 18 to 24 and 25 to 34 groups, which accounted for more than half of total movie-going revenues in the first quarter. The biggest drop took place with the 55 and up group sliding uh, to 5% from over 6. So Hmm. older folks are not going to movies as much. Yeah, right, right. You know, it's interesting because when with a film like Endgame, when so many people are seeing it, it obviously means they're not seeing other films. Mm-hmm. And so it's not like so you're going to see like when you look at the stats, like the box office drops in films as far as popularity on any given weekend. Everything is going to have a big drop because all of a sudden no one is going to see Endgame. Mm-hmm. Or, sorry, no one is going to go see them because they're all seeing Endgame. 
And also, no one can see them because it yeah. games on so many screens. So it's, it's almost like a weirdly artificial drop that's been getting forced across everything. Right. It's I, The whole thing is so interesting to me. Like, I really, this would be something I'd love to be in on some, you know, kind of conversations in the uh, exhibitor world and see how things, how all of this, you know, what it means as far as all these statistics. I'll have to keep track on Comscore, see if they post anything interesting. Mm-hmm. Um. So just in terms of a hot take, how often did you cry uh, the second time you saw the movie? (laughs) Uh, uh, A lot. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, man. Wow. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, I'm just, I'm, I don't know. I don't want to, I know we're going to have our sh- other show about yeah. it, but, but, but I have to tell you, like I, the way the movie, and we'll talk in great detail about this because it's important to me, but the way the movie plays with sound and silence uh, is made for a hysterical viewing when you hear pockets of 40 something nerds just. <laughs> That kind of sound, <laughs> like just kind of popping up from different parts of the theater. <laughs> and now there's one over on the left. <laughs> and then I realized all of that was me. <laughs> it, was, it was me and Dolby yeah, right. <laughs> Uh, oh, so funny. Well, so here's funny. something not Marvel related, uh, not uh, Endgame related. Did you see this about old uh, Peter Farrelly? He's got a. He's got a. What? What's the news? Got a new movie. He's ready. He's got his next movie after Green Book. I know you're going to be excited about that. <laughs> Green Book Two. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, this one is. Uh, he's doing this one for Skydance, and uh, the it's based on a book that I have never read. Uh, the book by. Uh, Joanna Malloy and John Chicky Donahue uh, is called The Greatest Beer Run Ever, A True Story of Friendship Stronger Than War. Uh, and the story is about uh, Donahue, Chicky Donahue, who left New York in 67 to track down and share a few beers with childhood buddies in the army while they were fighting in Vietnam. And, uh, I, you know, I, I got to tell you, this one it seems more attuned to Peter Farrelly's sensibilities than Green Book. So honestly, I'm going into this one thinking well, he, he might be able to turn this one around. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> what? You know, I, I know. I mean, I, he might. Yeah, it, it might be fine. It might be fine. I, you know, it's something that just struck me as you were reading that is, is it odd to you? Do you find it odd that that it's no longer... Like Farrelly Brothers? Yes, uh, I do find that. Like, odd. What, what happened there? Did, I, have you heard anything about that? Like, why is it all of a sudden now he's on his own? Yeah, I have no idea. No idea. Uh, That's weird. Where are the Farrelly Brothers? Nope, Google doesn't know. <laughs> um, hmm. Because I don't think even. Bobby was involved in Green Book, was he? Wow. Yeah, no, I he was not as far as I know. There was no no credit. Um yeah. Yeah, nothing on Wikipedia. Uh The last time they worked together was on Dumb and Dumber 2 in 2014. Is that right? Yes. Yes it is. 
Wow. Even even a movie that is so uh, attuned to both of their sensibilities, like movie 43, they were not on together. It was just Peter. Yeah, but that was the only other yeah. time. Yeah. Huh. Very interesting. I'm I'm curious now. Now now that I the, I don't know your your story made me kind of go down that totally different rabbit hole, but it all of a sudden piques my curiosity. Like, what's happened to Bobby? Yeah. I don't know. Huh. I don't know. So uh, no. I I do think that's uh, interesting that he is continuing down this road, and maybe that's you know part of the reason is that his his own sensibilities are are uh, changing, and um, you know more power to him. We didn't like I didn't like Green Book. I found it well, you know the Green Book story, but uh, I'm I'm certainly open to to more of what he does. And I've liked a lot of the movies that he's been involved with in the past. And so if he can find a way to, to uh, meld his sensibilities with a story that's right for it, I'm, I'm there, I'm showing up. So. Yeah. I, I feel like so much of their comedy had always been hit or miss yeah. with me. Um, they, they always had such a low common denominator for, for some mm -hmm. of it that I really struggled. Yeah. So, um, I think every now and then they would do some interesting stuff, but I, I don't know. I'm curious to see, uh, I'm curious to see if, uh, if they are able to kind of get out and do some things different. So I guess we'll see. Hmm. Uh, should we do trailers? Well, we should. Do we have any non, or did you have more no, no, news? No, I don't. I mean, you know, always. There's there's always more news, Andy. Uh, but the the do we is there any does there exist any Marvel news that isn't Endgame related? And the the only reason I'm asking is because I am now that I've seen the movie, I'm eager for uh, Kevin Feige to come out and tell us what's next because I know there's a what's next. Well, I did see Benedict Cumberbatch. Uh, post something um, kind of the rumor mill is starting that Doctor Strange 2 is next year. All right. That's good. So I guess I guess that's some um, that's some news. Yeah. Yep. OK. And I guess also, uh, you know, I, I'm sure you're getting you're getting plugged uh, up the wazoo like I was before your screening. But uh, Dark Phoenix uh, is coming soon. And I am very curious, very excited. About Are you that really? One. Are you excited more than curious or curious more than excited? curious more than excited mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I you know the x-men films have never completely wowed me i think that they've done some interesting stuff in them and i think that the dark phoenix story is a pretty interesting one and i i don't know i guess i'm just kind of curious to see what they do with it here i think that it looks good like the casting looks great and everything so i'm hoping I'm hoping that they do some interesting stuff with Me it. Me too. Since this is the last of this particular cast in the X-Men universe, I hope they're able to go out with a bang, so to speak. But, I, you know, the latest trailer, I, I like that they, you know, at least I feel like they're a little bit more authentic with what the story is and the, the amount of origin story we get. And, uh, oh, the X-Men are doing space rescues now. Uh, OK, that's cool. Like, <laughs> I yeah. thought that was a great, <laughs> uh, great little line. Uh, and so we'll see. You know, I, I've heard uh, in this case. Uh, spoiler culture, I think, has gotten the best of me, even though I have no idea really what the the architecture of the story is. Uh, I'm so spoiled on the, you know, the the state of preview screenings for that movie that um, I'm I'm going in with a natural sense of skepticism that is likely unfair. But you know, we'll see. 
I like the cast. I like yeah. what they're up to. I like, uh, uh, you know, it's always the X, these, this generation of X-Men movies, like you say, they, they're, I find that they're entertaining in isolation, but as soon as you get to, as soon as you take a step back as a whole, they feel kind of incomplete as an X-Men universe, you know, and I feel like it's yeah. just, it just, I never quite understand what they're going for there. So it's probably good time for a reset. <laughs> Well, yeah, and I think that's this is an example of why, like, one core person like Kevin Feige mm-hmm. at the foundation who can tie everything together and kind of keep that thread running, even as different other people come in and out. I think that really can help. Yeah. All right. Well, so, let's, uh, I think we should uh, jump into trailers. Excellent. I don't think either of us have Red Band or A24, so you posted first. Why don't you go first? Oh, dear. Well, okay. Um, <laughs> you know, I, you sound so enthusiastic. I am. I am. And now I've seen this trailer a number of times and I've seen it on the big screen. And uh, I, I'm going into this again with a natural sense of skepticism. <laughs> Because it is uh, the story of Will Smith versus a digitally youngified Will Smith. It is Gemini Man from director Ang Lee and writers Billy Ray and Darren Lemke. Uh, and, you know, Andy, what do you say uh, about Ang Lee being back into the back, back into it? Um, I he's. It's a movie. It's an action He's movie. Done He's it done again. it again, right? Like <laughs> you can say it with no enthusiasm whatsoever, and it will be true. He has done it again. Um, he, you know, will this be Brokeback or Life of Pi? Right? Will this be uh, Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk or Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon? I don't know. Uh, but Will Smith certainly looks weird. One of the Will Smiths certainly looks super weird when he speaks. He looks like, uh, what's his name? Superman after the mustache removal. It's not right. <laughs> it's going to take me out of the film. Uh, I don't know why they went down that road. It's a story of an over-the-hill hitman as he faces off against a younger clone of himself. So you can pretty much see where the story's going. But what excites me about it, frankly, is the stunt work. Like, there are some really cool effect shots that are that that come out in the trailer. And if, if these effect shots are a fraction of what they actually do in the movie, things they do with motorcycles, uh, I'm, I'm in it. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. So, um, you know, in the same way that I was into uh, Mission Impossible 2 with the dubs and the motorcycle stuff, uh, I, I could very well get into this movie and uh, it, it could be a great, uh, a great little popcorn thing. Uh, Mary, Elizabeth, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, uh, obviously Will Smith, Will Smith, Clive Owen, Benedict Wong is in it, which is great. Wanted to make sure that there was a tie into Endgame. <laughs> uh, so I, I think there's I think there's hope. It could be a lot of fun. I'm I'm trying to severely measure my expectations on this movie. What do you think? It's amazing how long this project has been around. I mean, this was a project that was uh, from '97. Yeah. It started as a project. Tony Scott, Curtis Hanson, Joe Carnahan, they'd all been attached at some point in time. Harrison Ford, Mel Gibson, Clint Eastwood, Sean Connery had all been set to star at various points in time. For whatever reason, this project just kind of keeps going through this crazy development hell. And 
I, I feel like uh, it, it sounds like a really interesting story. And I don't know if the reason it was going through development hell was just technology. You know, like they couldn't quite quite find a way to make it work with kind of that whole clone side of things. And so I think that they were probably trying to figure out, okay, how are we going to shoot it? Is it going to be uh freaky Friday style of shooting, uh, yeah, right. <laughs> pulling back to like the way, way back machine. Um, uh, so, you know, I don't know. I, I get really nervous with projects like this, that, that finally find a way to get made after having gone through decades of development hell. Um, and I'm thrilled that Angley is doing it. Will Smith, I'm, I'm constantly hoping he'll find his footing in something because I feel like he's lost it at some point and can't get, you know, just can't find the right project well, anymore. that's why I'm so glad I don't he know got what's going on. Because that seems to be a lock. <laughs> I really, yes, there it is. That's the one. So I don't know. Um, but, you know, watching this trailer... While I'm interested in the story, uh, like you, I find that youngified Will Smith just, like, it's the first time I saw him, I, I, you know, I was like, did they just do a CG Will yeah. Smith? Oh, yeah. And then, and then I realized, oh, they're just youngifying him, and it just doesn't work right. Like, the, it's off. And I don't know if Ang Lee is using the people who did his Hulk to do this <laughs> Will Smith. <laughs> I don't know, but it's, it's, it's rough. And so I'm curious about this one more than anything. I can't say I am excited. Um, and I hate to say it, but just from watching the trailer, I'm like, oh, I don't think this is the Will Smith vehicle that he was looking yeah. for. Yeah. That, that's the thing that makes me nervous. David Benioff has, has a story credit on this and, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of, uh, David Benioff and Game of Thrones and, but there are a lot of people with story credit written by credit writer credit you know however weird that is and so um most of the credit looks like top billing for writing is it goes to billy ray and uh the the thing i have with billy ray is that uh, unfortunately he also has done movies that i really like <laughs> so like yeah. i want to uh, like i i that makes me more enthusiastic i was such a huge fan of shattered glass back in the day uh hunger games you know Hunger Games was it, it's held up for me. I've enjoyed that Captain Phillips, uh, and then I haven't seen Overlord, but those are his IMDb top four, and they're all um, they all seem like like a lock to me, with the exception of Overlord. Did you ever see that one? Overlord one? came Overlord, out last I'm year. Kind of... It was the um, it's the one where the it's like the wow, it came out last Nazis. Year? I totally. Um, yeah, the small group of American soldiers find horror behind enemy lines on the eve of D Day. Oh. Right? It's that's. Yes, no. It's yes, a 6.7 right, right. on the IMDb scale, uh, Andy. So, <laughs> sounds like something might be right up your alley. Oh, uh, anyway. maybe. Maybe. Late night watch. Right, right. Uh, so, that's my trailer, Gemini Man. And when does it come out? That's a great question. Uh, I'll tell you because it's October 4th, 2019. So, there it is. Yep. What's yours? Well, I am uh, continuing the uh, the Endgame connections. I'm looking at uh, Chadwick Boseman uh, starring vehicle uh, produced by Anthony and Joe Russo. I think uh, 21 Bridges looks like it could be an interesting cop thriller. I don't know if I'm completely sold. It looks like it might just be straight up by the books action thriller. Brian Kirk uh, is directing it. Brian Kirk has been, a, uh, I think, a largely a TV director. 
on things like Game of Thrones, Boardwalk Empire, Luther, Dexter, Brotherhood, The Tudors, The Riches, um, you know, all sorts of stuff. Just, a, you know, quite a, a wide array of TV projects. I don't think uh, that he has done any films yet. I'm kind of scrolling through, but I I do think um, it looks like the film is handled well. Watching the trailer, I'm like, okay, everything about it looks like it could work, mm-hmm. right? It has kind of the the tone, the feel, and everything. Uh, the thing that I I'm most curious about is just kind of the story, and I I I don't know. Watching this, I couldn't help but feel like this could work. It could be a really interesting cop thriller. It might also just be one of those by the books cop thrillers that you watch and then you leave the theater and then it's instantly gone from your mind. Yeah. That makes me um, a little sad because I'd love to see Chadwick Boseman doing something that was really memorable. And I I don't know if this is it. I'm not 100% convinced. It's hard to tell from the writing writing team, um, Adam Mervis, came up with the story and then co-wrote the script with, uh, well, I don't know. It's, it's weird. It's written by Matthew Michael Carnahan screenplay by Adam Mervis. Mm-hmm. So I don't really know how to define who has what role. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just don't know. Matthew Michael Carnahan has, uh, uh, you know, I think written some projects that are, you know, they're interesting, but not great. The Kingdom, Lions for Lambs, which was a bore. State of Play, which was a bore. World War Z, which I enjoyed. Deepwater Horizon was pretty straightforward biopic. Um, And then this, and then working with Todd Haynes, of all people. So that's kind of an odd, odd switch. Uh, So I don't know. What did you, what'd you think well, of this one? The the name that came out. Obviously, I'm into the um, the Chadwick Boseman connection. You know, I Wakanda forever, right? Whatever. Uh, the name that stuck out to me more than anything else is Tyler Kitsch, who um, is an actor that I've been a fan of, straight up fan of since Friday Night Lights. Tim Riggins. I thought you were going to say since Battleship. That's the problem, Andy. That's the problem. <laughs> uh, Battleship, X-Men Origins, Wolverine, um, John Carter, which I am an island that I enjoyed that movie and wish that it had done better. Uh, you're, yeah, there are there are islands of people like you there are. who do <laughs> appreciate are, that. Film. Maybe less of an island and more adrift. Uh, but, uh, you know, properties I haven't seen, like Waco, he played uh, David Koresh in this uh, in this miniseries Waco, uh, which has uh, come to some acclaim, uh, his portrayal there. So I'm really interested in this. Is this going to be, an, uh, you know, something shooting for a movie like Heat, uh, which has that relationship, that that sort of good cop um, or, or, or anti-hero cop and, um, you know, good guy criminal? Uh, Robin Hood story. Yeah. Like, what what is the story that we're getting at here? And and do these characters have something more than just what is portrayed in the trailer uh, to actually show us and demonstrate? I I like all the people involved. The trailer I felt like was a bit incoherent in in what it was trying to sell me. Um, I, I had yeah, like yeah. it doesn't even say like IMDb says a disgraced detective. Yeah. Like, was, was he disgraced? I, I didn't, I didn't get that at all. I didn't get that. Yeah, so yeah. so I, it it worries me just a little bit because it was not a great trailer, but it has a lot of. Um, I think it's got all the right people to to be a film of some promise, and it's coming out at a big time of year. 
Somebody's yeah. excited about it. I yeah. I, I you know I'm curious to see if it's if it's going to end up pulling through. I guess we'll have to wait and see. It is scheduled to release here in the U.S. July 12th, and uh, Netherlands same time. Portugal, uh, France, all in July. U.K. August 23rd. Yeah. All right. Anyway, that's my that's trailer. your trailer. Let's do the lists. We this week we talked about Russian Dolls, the second of Cedric Klapich's uh, Spanish Apartment trilogy, and not having seen it uh, <laughs> before, we uh, threw the options together. Steve and I frantically tried to come up with some things, and you know we ended up with uh, options that might have been a little uh, standard: uh, reconnecting with old friends, films set in Russia, and dream jobs are hard work. Everybody loves Russia. When we had Cold War films, everybody loved those. And now we're back in Russia. Films set in Russia. That's the <laughs> the pick by a mile. So here we are. Films set in Russia. Now, I have a question for you. Did you do films completely set in Russia? Or did you do films, if they have a scene in Russia, that's scene okay. in Russia. Uh, just a scene in Russia that if they went to Russia, if they were in Russia, if something happened in Russia, it, it was a candidate for my list. I okay. imagine that right. you were probably more of a purist than that. You know, I um, I wrote a list that included both. Um, that's why I asked, because I'm like, which way yeah. should I go? Because I hadn't quite decided. I uh, I don't know. I'm just, I guess I'm going to wing it and see what happens as we go. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> that always works out in our favor. Yeah. Right? Yeah, no, perfect. <laughs> perfect. All right. Uh, well, uh, do I get to go first? Is that how we do this? Yeah, right. go ahead. Kick it off. The first movie uh, on my list is a movie that uh, I... It, it's one of those movies where all of the pieces seem like they should fit together, and then ultimately, for me, they, they don't. But I, I do enjoy revisiting this film because of some of the pieces. The hardest thing to watch for me are the principal performances, which is so weird that it even makes it onto my list. But it is weirdly the first movie that came to mind when I found this movie set in Russia was going to be the thing that we talk about. It is Brad Anderson's 2008 thriller Trans-Siberian, uh, in which an Ooh. American couple journey from China to Russia on a train... And they meet up with uh, fellow travelers and uh, uh, Ben Kingsley. Uh, so the principal performers here are Woody Harrelson and Emily Mortimer. And Woody Harrelson, you know, I think this might be back before he realized I just need to do stuff that that is me and not try to actually be a character because he plays the most namby-pamby uh, American, like generic American uh, that, that you've ever seen in this movie. And it's hard to stomach, almost as hard to stomach as, strangely, Ben Kingsley's Russian accent, which is terrible. Like, he is just not threatening uh, because his accent is so bad. He plays a, a Russian drug cop. You know, but the setting and how they handle the stuff in and around the train and the winter and all of the Russia stuff, I actually think is really good. And I think it's it's super entertaining. And uh, in, in that regard, and Brad Anderson, I think, has a, a strong filmmaking sensibility. I, I enjoyed The Machinist uh, very much, which uh, he had done prior to this. Um, and uh, it was certainly worth seeing. And I think he has some of the same sort of. Um, 
you know, the, the same sort of visual sensibilities that he displayed in terms of just handle, how do we handle bleakness uh, in, in story? So uh, that's my first pick, Trans-Siberian 2008. There's, there's a lot to pick apart if you, if you want to pick it apart, but goodness, does it handle the Russia stuff well? I thought that was a pretty interesting yeah. film. I I mean, it wasn't perfect. I totally agree with everything that you said. It's like, but I found it to be like, it kind of was like an interesting surprise. Mm-hmm. It was a very small film that I don't, I, I think I just, you know, uh, caught it on Netflix or something. And I'm like, no, oh, okay. That was kind of a neat little film. It, it worked as a, its own little thriller. Uh, it had some odd performances, but I still enjoyed it. I walked away going, okay, that was yeah, kind of cool. Kind of cool. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah. I'm just going to say again, not that I'm insinuating a, a theme in my picks at all besides Russia, but Ben, ben Kingsley, Iron Man 3. There you go. <laughs> You, you well, I almost guarantee that I will not be able to find any MCU connection with my first choice here. Um, I went through a phase when I, I don't know, probably the late 90s, early 2000s, where I kind of started watching Akira Kurosawa's films and fell in love with him as a director and what he did in his storytelling and I uh, was just kind of watching every single thing of his. I just kind of went through his chronology and, and whatever whatever I could find, I watched. I came on to his uh, a really odd little film he did in 1975 called Dersu Uzala, which is about this, uh, it, it's kind of about this uh, Russian, it's based on a, a memoir about a, a, an explorer and his team crossing, I feel like it's crossing Siberia, type of, kind of like through this just crazy wilderness. And they um, they kind of, they come across this place and they find this, this nomadic hunter whose name is Dersu Uzala who says he'll guide them across it. And it basically becomes kind of this journey film as they journey across the, the just kind of the freezing Russian tundra with this guide who, you know, very much just kind of knows how to navigate it and saves their lives. And, you know, they kind of learn from him and all that sort of stuff. I, I just, I, I don't know. I found it to be a really captivating movie. And I, you know, I, much like I find most things that Kurosawa does just really interesting. And, Definitely one worth checking out. It's not something that stands out as one that people immediately call to mind when they think of Kurosawa's films because it it doesn't have uh, anything really taking place in Japan. (coughs) Oh, excuse me. But it's it's one that um, he that came to him. Really, I mean, this terrible period in his life. He'd he'd tried uh, killing himself because. He ran out of, or because he, his previous film failed, he couldn't get funding for his other films. It was just in this place where things were falling apart for him. And it really kind of became this, uh, this moment for him to do something. And it really, I think, kind of helped to get him out of it. So, have you seen it? Spell it. Dersu, D-E-R-S-U, Uzala, U-Z-A-L-A. so. I guess that should answer your question. I can't even that, spell yeah, it. No, true. I've never seen it, but I'm fascinated by it. And uh, I'm absolutely adding it to the list right now. Yeah, it's a really interesting film that I, I mean, just reading about it again, I'm like, gosh, I really want to watch that again. Because I just found it to be kind of this, uh, just kind of a, a really interesting tale of uh, kind of journeying through the Russian wilderness with this person. So check Letterboxd, it out. Watch list. Check. 
done. <laughs> I'm trying to follow your lead, man. You and Steve, you're keeping up there on you your go. watch list, and that's where I fall apart. All right. Um, let me begin by saying for pick number two, I adore the name of the rose. The name of the rose is naturally not my pick of this week, but it is a film by. <laughs> I was like, that's not right. in Russia. It is a film by Jean Jacques Anod. Uh, it, it is fantastic. And so when I saw that movie, that was in 1986, I fell in absolute love with that film. And I thought, oh, Jean Jacques Anod is going to be a director that I see everything he does. And then I proceeded not to do that. I missed the next bunch of films that he did until 1997. I saw Seven Years in Tibet with Brad Pitt, and uh, I did not like it at all when I saw it. I've liked it more since I uh, since then. I, I've watched it. Uh, 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 I think one or two times since I, I first saw it in the theater. I went back to the theater to see his immediate follow-up, which is Enemy at the Gates. It is the story of the Battle of Stalingrad, uh, and it it puts Jude Law uh, standing off against Ed Harris. Now, I, I'll just say this. I enjoyed this movie and it makes my skin crawl a little bit because it's a bunch of British people, like not even <laughs> acknowledging that, <laughs> that there is uh, Russian and German stuff going on here. They just put on the fancy clothes and parade around and do a melodrama. And it's it it's kind of hard to watch for me because I don't think that perspective ages well. I think if they were to make this movie again, it would be full of a, a much more sort of vibrant ca international cast uh, that that better represents, you know, this the, essentially this sort of true story of the Battle of Stalingrad and these fictionalized characters inside of it. But the climax of this movie, uh, when we actually have this standoff, mano a mano between Jude Law and Ed Harris is worth seeing absolutely, especially if you just want to see more of Ed Harris <laughs> getting shot in the head. Uh, I think it is one of the most uh, uh, beautiful and, um, you know, just sort of ex exhilarating uh you know, standoffs in this kind of a, a gritty war movie. Um, Rachel Weiss is in it, and she's uh, she's delightful, as always. Joseph Fiennes is in it. Bob Hoskins, you know, he plays Nikita Khrushchev, and it's kind of hard to watch because, you know, he's Bob Hoskins. Uh, <laughs> and so, but uh, Ron Perlman's in it. Uh, it's got a fantastic cast. It really does. They just, they made some choices about uh, kind of how to portray the story in Stalingrad in a way that, that over the last, you know, 18 years has become a little bit comical, unintentionally comical. But there you go. Enemy at the Gates 2001. What'd you think? It was an interesting watch. I remember it had some stuff that I I, I did enjoy. I love the cat and mouse game of the uh, of the two uh, snipers. Yeah, that's why you show up. I thought that was kind of yeah, exactly. That's why you watch that movie because it was it was an interesting exploration of that world of of warfare. Mm -hmm. You know this game that these uh, snipers play. Um, to that end, it wasn't um, a, a great film, but it did have its moments. Yeah. That's that's kind of my recollection of it. And not at all to insinuate that there may be a sub theme to my picks. Jude Law, Captain Marvel. <laughs> well, I am happy to say that my next one does have the MCU connection. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, 
Um, it's it is a. Uh, yeah, this was a, a film that I had kind of forgotten about until, you know, as I had said, I'm, I'm listening to this uh, podcast, 80s All Over, where they're going back through every single film of the 80s that was theatrically released and re-reviewing them. And I'm having just a delightful time listening to the shows. I had kind of forgotten about this film. Uh, this is a 1983 film called Gorky Park, directed by Michael Apted with William Hurt. There's our connection. Lee Marvin, Brian Dennehy. Um, and uh, it's a, a really nice score by James Horner. It's a film about a... A, uh, a Soviet um, detective who uh, is investigating these um, a mystery of these three bodies that are found. They had all been shot in the chest and mouth, and their faces and their fingertips had been removed. and And so he has to start this investigation. And you know, I, my recollection of it is a little weak because it has been quite a while. Um, this podcast, this other podcast, reminded me about it. I'm like, gosh, I really would love to. Uh, revisit that film because I, I did find it really interesting because it goes in directions that you just don't expect. And I, I I thought it was a pretty interesting film at the time, the way that it kind of explored what was going on in Russia. Obviously, it wasn't shot in Russia in 1983, but, um, but with an interesting cast and kind of the way that it involves the KGB and it ends up involving uh, sable fur and all sorts of stuff, it was just a really interesting film that I'm really curious about. So uh, that's my second pick, Gorky I'm Park. with you. I need to see this again. You get a cast like William Hurt and Lee Marvin and Brian Dennehy right. and Richard Griffiths yeah. and Ian McDermott. I mean, th- it is an amazing cast of, of, uh, of people this movie and i it has been you know 20 years uh but you're, you're absolutely right i need to see this again and uh, have you ever read the book i haven't that's, no no martin Cruz yeah. smith wrote the book but uh, that's, yeah. uh it's one of my dad's i think favorites i think that was this is one of my dad's bedside table books you know it was it was there for 20 years because he just couldn't get around to reading it and then he devoured it in like two days so uh yeah anyhow, right, right good pick uh my third pick hmm you know, so it was set, it takes, it takes the story to St. Petersburg. Uh, it was not shot in, in Russia. Uh, it, it was shot all over the Czech Republic and Romania and, you know, places that Serbia, Bosnia, they, it, it looks like, um, you know, it, it looks like Russia. Also, uh, they shoot a lot of stuff that's supposed to take place in New Jersey, but that was actually shot in Romania. So what are you going to do? It is the 2008 film, The Brothers Bloom. I love this movie. Again, I feel a little bit like I'm adrift uh, when I say that because people that I think should love this movie with me don't love this movie with me. I'm going to keep talking to not give you a chance to speak. It is, uh, <laughs> it is one of my favorite Ryan Johnson films. Uh, it stars uh, Adrian, Adrian Brody and Rachel Weisz, again, Enemy at the Gates. And again, not to insinuate that there may be a sub-theme to my picks, Mark Ruffalo, uh, all of the MCU. <laughs> That's the Hulk. There you go. I love this movie. It's a con that takes us all over the world, swindling millionaires, uh, and they're taking on one last job. These two brothers bloom, and they're they're uh, taking on the beautiful and eccentric heiress with them. And this is an adventure story. All right, go ahead. What wow. do you think? <clears throat> I uh, I don't really have anything to say about it. I I, I didn't like it. I, I just know. didn't care for it. I. 
I know Ryan Johnson is very much kind of that that hit or miss director, uh, whether it's a small film like this or a big film like uh, Last Jedi. I think that is almost true with every film of his. I think uh, so. It's it, that to me. I think I find more interesting than this. So film. here's the thing: he is very much a more of a hit than a miss for me. I adored Brick. I adored the Brothers Bloom, uh, and I adored uh, the Last Jedi. And so of the four big movies, the only one that I find myself a little bit on a miss of is Looper. I, I actually weirdly struggled with that one. And I think that was one that you liked a lot, right? Well, I think you liked it a lot, too, when we did our Didn't show I, about I complained it. I an you're... awful lot about the aging stuff, about the faces. And that that took me out of it uh, for some reason. So I think there's I need to watch it again because my memory of it has gotten worse the more I think about it. He's also a big fan of the Mountain Goats, which uh, I'm, I'm a, also a fan of the Mountain Goats, the band. And he's done uh, a number of, of shorts and videos for them. So uh, that endears me to him even more. So what are you going to do? Hmm. And I'm excited for his untitled Star Wars trilogy. <laughs> so, all right. We'll see if that ever gets off the ground. Oh, it's coming, Andy. You killjoy. <laughs> That's right. That's all me. Right. What's your last one? For my final pick, I'm going with a uh, an Oscar, uh, you know, a big Oscar film. It didn't win Best Picture, but certainly was nominated for Best Picture. Um, I only saw it recently because I've been kind of playing catch up on all my Oscar nominees. It is Warren Beatty's 1981 film Reds. This was a it was a, a harder film to watch for me than I expected. I didn't love it. I thought it was really interesting, but it has elements that have stuck with me. Uh, the film really follows kind of John Reed, the uh, the writer of, he went over and chronicled the Russian Revolution in the book, uh, 10 Days That Shook the World. Um, but it's got a massive cast and it takes place during a really interesting period of time when all of these, uh, writers and journalists and activists were really kind of coming into their own. And, uh, you know, you got, you know, people like, uh, you know, uh, Diane Keaton is Louise Bryant, Edward Herman is Max Eastman, Jack Nicholson is Eugene O'Neill. It's got a really interesting cast of people playing really interesting people in a really interesting period of time. As they're going back and forth uh, from the U.S. to to Russia to kind of just explore, and, and I feel like the bulk of it actually doesn't take place in Russia, but it's very much about kind of what's going on there and how it leads these people to kind of uh, you know find this uh, connection to this spirit of of communism and everything. So it's it's maybe a slight cheat because I don't feel like there's much at all that actually take place. Over there, but it's a really interesting film that deals with it very heavily. And I, I think the thing that makes this film memorable for me is the fact that aside from the story you have with um, this wonderful cast, you have a lot of real people who were actually involved. All these, they call them kind of witness interviews, all these actual radicals and activists and authors and, and uh, advocates and, and everybody kind of as a part of this story, like interviews with these real people kind of telling the story and kind of setting the stage for everything that was going on. That for me is what really made this film 
interesting and memorable. Um, it's just seeing these real people who were there and affected by it um, as this the rest of this story unfolds. So um, it wasn't my favorite film, but it's one that stuck with me. It is Reds. Yeah, I have nothing to add that you haven't said about that. I mean, I, you're absolutely right. The, the um, uh, in particular, Jack Nicholson as Eugene O'Neill is fantastic. Oh, yes. I mean, it's just, it's one of those like standout performances of playing a real guy as kind of an ancillary character to the central uh, protagonist that I think is, uh, it's, it's worth watching. So um, it's, it's great. It's, it, it's great stuff. But uh, it, like you said, it's not, not my favorite. It, it really was, it, it's Warren Beatty as an activist filmmaker. And so you like that, you don't like whatever, but. But I think, I, but, but it it gives a, such a good sense of that yeah. period of time, I yep. felt. Like, you really felt what it was like in the United States, in the world, or like right in this time in kind of the, the 19 teens, when you could really kind of, uh, you know, there was this change in, you know, revolution and the way that people were kind of finding this new voice in communism before it became this, you know, outcry to kind of, uh, quash it here in the States and, and led to, you know, such awful right, times. Right. Yeah. Good set. Good yeah. set. And that, that brings us to this coming week. It's the final of our trilogy of Cedric Clappage's Vanish Apartment. And I, I, I'm sorry, Andy, I haven't watched it yet. Well, we've got options. Um, we can do, um, we can do divorce. I think divorce films is a fair, <laughs> fair path to yeah. take. We could do, um, um, <laughs> we could do Chinatown. Uh, you know, films that uh, that deal with Chinatown. I feel like that list would be awfully small. Okay. Um, we could do Marriage by Convenience. Um, that's certainly an angle we could go. Oh, okay. Um, we could do also a kind of a short um, list in my head right now, but maybe it's longer if we start evaluating it. Yeah, I, I um, feel like that might be a tricky one, but we could certainly do okay. that. We could do um, there's uh, a hmm. I mean, for for my money, you just nailed three that we I think we could go with. And and, and this is based on me watching just the trailer for the movie. <laughs> right, right. Um, we could certainly also go with, um, uh, again, I feel like some of these lists would be really small, but um, having a baby or, or you know, um, I don't even know how you would define it, but um, uh, help. Uh, how would you do it? Like helping friends have a baby. Oh, surrogacy? <laughs> Surrogacy. There you go. Okay. Is that like way too um, narrow? I don't think so. I can think of two. Um, Unless we go with the Bruce Willis film, Surrogates. I'll bet we can come up with, uh, I'll bet we can come up with some others. I think we can. I think we can. It'll be a challenge. Ugh. Well, that so we're, we've got surrogacy, divorce films, marriage by convenience, Chinatown. What do we want to do? Do we like one of those less than the others? Do we want to find something well, else? I, if we're gonna, if we're gonna, we could also do rekindling old flames. <laughs> okay. Now, having not seen the movie yet, I feel like this whole conversation is uh, 
painting maybe a weird picture of what I have in for me. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I like that. Rekindling old flames. That's always fun. Okay. I like that, that better than surrogacy for sure. Oh, okay. Just because I think there are going to be more movies to choose from for me. Because I'm, I'm doing a quick uh, yeah. uh, a Google of great surrogacy movies. And uh, I, there, are, there are plenty out there. I have not... Are they no, really? I'm lying to you right now. I, I think there are about a, <laughs> there like, about a dozen, and I have seen like one right now. So, uh, yeah, I can only think of uh, two. Really, yeah. I'm sure there are more, but uh, okay. So I'm I'm less inclined to do that. What about marriage by convenience? Yep. Do you think that that's a wide swath of of stories that we could? Uh, yes, yes, find? I do. Okay. Oh, well, we'll leave that in. So, Mar- do you like divorce films? I think divorce films is fine. Marriage by Convenience, divorce films, and rekindling old flames. Yes. Yep. Let's do that. Okay. That's a so good we're dropping three. We'll Chinatown. Drop Chinatown. Okay. How about films uh, not set in China? <laughs> films have nothing to do with the country of China, but everything to do with other stuff that's Chinese related. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just terrible. That's a that's like every yeah, film. Right. Oh man. Okay. All right. Well, we'll put that up in the show talk channel for everybody to get their votes in. And uh yeah, you have till next Friday, Friday, May third. Uh not quite May the fourth. And uh yeah, get your votes in and we'll put that together for next week. Otherwise, I think, I think we're, we're done. done. Put a fork in it, everybody. Thank you so much for uh hanging out with us this fine Saturday matinee. Uh it's it's a big box office weekend. Hope you if if you like these movies, hope you get out and get a chance to see it. And then what you should do is start over at the beginning if you haven't subscribed to the Marvel Movie Minute. Uh I it, we we have only 1 minute left to record. Andy, can you believe that? That is nuts. And I will say, uh, just as a complete side note here at the very end, it was really, um, I, I don't know, really gratifying to have gone through Iron Man in such scrupulous detail to lead into Endgame. Yeah. Like, I felt so connected to to Tony. It was weird. Yeah, I, I could not agree more that it was that 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 was absolutely, you know, there are all these. Uh, lists of movies that that you know people say oh you should watch these five movies before you see Endgame and for my money the only one you really need to watch is Iron Man. Oh, I don't know if I agree with that, but and you should and you should watch it one minute at a time. <laughs> well, anyway, <laughs> anyway, thanks everybody. Catch you later. See ya. I love the conversations that so many of our hosts have had on their shows. Steve and JJ on Trailer Rewind, Ray and Ocean on Silver Linings, even Tommy's short-lived No, No, Wait, Hear Me Out. And so many films they've discussed started out as a book, a play, or even a TV series. Well, now you can support our whole family of podcasts by using our new Originals page to buy the original source material used to inspire films covered on our shows. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these fantastic conversations. It's a wonderful way to support the show. Producing these podcasts week after week require a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, try using our originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. It's your one-stop shop for Amazon and Apple links where you can buy the book, play, video game, movie, etc. upon which the movie is based. Original material for trailer rewind movies like If Beale Street Could Talk, The Goldfinch, Aniara, 
or The Two Faces of January. Or Silver Linings movies like Repo Men, which was based on the repossession Mambo. Plus, by using those links to buy books, Amazon and Apple show us a little bit of love, which allows you to support our family of shows with minimal effort. Visit thenextreel.com slash originals. It's a fantastic way to support the show and find a great book to read. That's right. Head over to thenextreel.com slash originals to find your next read and get started today. Today. 